reading the other day in Samuel, and it really struck me a bit that what was happening back then, in a sense, is happening in so many countries today, including my own. And so, basically, I just want to read 1 Samuel, that's chapter 8. And it says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. And and verse 2 gives their names, Joel and Abijah. But verse 3 is kind of key. key. It says, his sons did not walk in his ways. Now, we know that Samuel was a godly man. He was raised up with with a godly man over him, Eli the, the prophet before him. But we need to recognize that in Israel at this time, the um, kingdom was being run, the country was being run by a um, theocratic type of government, not a democratic, not a dictatorship, but a theocratic, which means Theo is God, and it means that he was the one who ruled over Israel And he would speak to the prophets. At this time, it was Samuel. Before him, it was Eli. And he would speak to them and tell them the decisions that they were supposed to take to the king in order to run the country wisely. And so in this situation, we have these two boys who are now being set up and anointed to take over from Samuel. But the same happened with Eli is now happening with Samuel. The ones, each time was two boys. Each time they were not serious about the Lord. There's no fear of God on them. And they were abusing their position. They were abusing it financially. They were abusing it sexually. And they were at the place where the people started to say, this isn't going to work because these guys are not righteous men. And so in verse 4, the elders of Israel came together and they wanted to see Samuel and talk with him about it. Now they said to him in verse 5, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways, now I appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. In the old King James, I think it says, we want to be like the other nations. And I still remember one day reading that many years ago. And I, I heard myself say to myself, so many of us are like that today. We say on the one hand, we serve the Lord. But on the other hand, we want to be like everybody else around us. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want people to dislike us because we want to be like they are. You know, the, the terms that many people, we want to be cool, we want to be with it. And so I don't know what the latest terms are, but those are the ones I heard from my sons and my people that I work with over the years. I just want to be, I just want to be cool. I want to be accepted. 
by the world. We need to deal with something quickly. We need to get it through our heads that Jesus said that because they hated him, they're going to hate us. Other times they said, we will be persecuted. The kingdom of God says we will be because people hate righteousness. They hate light. They want dark. And so we need to just get with it smarten up and say, yes, listen, I will be, at least by some people out there, hated. And it's because of God, it's because of the Lord Jesus, and it's never going to go away. In some countries, the persecution is wide open. In our country, it's not so wide open anymore, but it's getting there fast. So we need to make up our minds, yes, I'm going to be hated. I will be persecuted. We need to establish that. I know for years there was a teaching started back in the middle of the 1800s by a prophecy given to someone in a, in a, in a church organization that now is labeled as an occult organization. But she had a prophecy that said before all this terrible stuff happens with the Antichrist, we're going to be rescued out of here. And yet there's really no scripture that lays that down, but it's amazing. They accepted that prophecy, and it's been widespread through evangelism, evangelical churches for many years. And it's given us the impression we will never be persecuted. How do you explain that to the people in China in the East, Middle East, and Africa, and India, where persecution is rampant and picking up. How do you explain to them, you weren't taken away, but we will be in America? And so, <clears throat> I think we need to reverse what we're doing and start to realize the Word of God really never says there's going to be a second and then a third coming. They use the scriptures, two women will be working, one will be taken and the other left. And two men will be, or a couple will be in bed, one will be taken, the other left. But listen, it says, as in the days of Noah, and it used that example, well, some are taken, some are left. Well, I'm asking you to review what it says in Genesis about Noah because it was the evil people that were taken and it was the righteous people that were left. And so we have this situation where we need to get a hold of the fact that there's going to be things happening in our country, the country you live in. It doesn't matter if you're, you're white and speak English, there's still persecution coming. So listen, the people ask for a king. It isn't that we're different because we dress different or have a different language or drive weird cars or no cars. It's because there's a righteousness that we adhere to that makes other people uncomfortable. So I can't go any farther than that. We have to go back to Samuel and his problem. But you see, Samuel is confronted with the fact we want a king. Back in Deuteronomy, 
God spoke way back then to Moses and said, someday they're going to want a king. And he even set down some rules and regulations. He wasn't to have many wives. He wasn't to build up armies because the Lord would look after them. Of course, we see our kings with Saul and David and John and um, Solomon after him, all these. Um, they didn't really listen to those guidelines by the Lord. And so we want to be like the world because we don't want to stand out and be weird. But listen, I'm convinced we can be like Jesus, not like the world, and still we don't have to dress stupid or look stupid or cut our hair different because God doesn't want us standing out. So he's going to have a, there's somewhere in there where there's a normal way of living that doesn't attract attention by our clothes or our looks or anything. It doesn't attract attention. It isn't wrong. As a matter of fact, I encourage it. When I'm dressing for something, whether it be just for the day around home or going out to speak or to going to a wedding or funeral, I say, Lord, how do you want me to dress? Because I want to dress in such a way not to attract attention to myself. What should I do? Should I get my hair cut different? How about a how about a Iroquois cut? No, the Lord says that would draw attention. Your job is to draw attention to me, says the Lord, not draw attention to yourself. And so I'm in a place where I'm in, we don't need a king to rule over. Yes, we need somebody to head up the country. But oh how gracious it would be if that headship would go to the prophets of God and say, what, here's some decisions I have to make. Would you ask the king in heaven what I should do? That would be ideal. That would be awesome to live in a nation like that. And so God said to, to Moses in verse 7, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected but they have rejected me as their king. That concerns me. Let me put it in the way that I'm looking at it. If I am not allowing the Lord to lead in my life, if I am depending on my own wisdom or the wisdom of others around me to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing, then it's as if I am saying, I'm rejecting you, Lord God, I want to listen to the wisdom of man. That is a common problem in our church, it's in our families, in our society, it's in our homes, it's in our personal lives. We need to know what God is saying. We need to <clears throat> take our decisions to him and say to him, Lord God, here's something that's a bit bigger than I am. Yes, I could make decisions, Lord, but I want your decision. You know what's coming in the future. I don't know what's coming in the future. You know the hearts of people that I'll be working with or dealing with. I don't know the hearts of those people that I'll be dealing with. And so it's wise to say to the Lord, I want your wisdom and your direction, Lord God. You see, when I go to the Lord for the wisdom and the direction, I'm fulfilling the first commandment that Jesus gave, where I said, Lord, I love you so much, 
I respect you. I honor you. I walk in the fear of your name. Therefore, you have greater wisdom than I have because you're the one that established the foundations of this world. You're the one that made things happen. I am just a subject of your kingdom, so I need you to give me wisdom. You see, whenever things aren't going our way, we have a tendency to step out and ignore God and get someone to doubt us. Not always wrong, but if that person we asked to help us would pray things through, that would be ideal. But you see, it, it, it's one of those things in the kingdom of God where we are dependent on the wrong thing. Now what happens is God not only says, go ahead and have a king, but he also says, I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. And in this list that we have from 9 to 17, verses 9 to 17, <laughs> I'm amazed how this, you have to read this on your own. I really don't have the time to go through it. But it's taught, it lists things over and over and over. He takes this. He's going to take this. He's going to take this. Take your best sons. Take your best daughters. Take your best vineyards. Take your best animals. Take, he'll take, he'll take. Well, what, is our, what does our man do or woman do that heads up our countries? They take, they take, they take taxes away and beyond what the Bible ever wanted it to happen. There was a man in the United States, he was a, an economist, and he, he did a calculation of all the people in the States and, and, and took the incomes. He, he could figure out uh, just the income of everybody, averaged it out probably per population. I'm not sure how he worked it, but he came up with the figure and he said, if everybody in their wage gave 10% to the government, that would cover all of our needs, all our social needs, our, our war needs, our governing needs. It would cover everything. But you see, because we don't rely on a righteous government that seeks God, we end up, and in my country, we're, at, we're almost at 50% of my total income will be paid in taxes. You see, it says, God says, if you don't listen to me and be led by me, the one that you choose to lead you is going to take and take and take and take until there's none but dry bones left, I guess you could say. And that's why we need to somewhere in our hearts and our minds say, I really am going to start praying for a nation that will start to seek the Lord. Or you can say, I'm really going to start praying for a province or a state that, or a, a region that I live in that would seek the Lord, or even, even my church that they would <clears throat> be concerned about seeking the Lord and not making decisions on their own. Some churches do that. They're good prayer warriors. Others are not. In your home, seeking the Lord for those things that matter to the whole family, and in your personal life, seeking the Lord for your own benefits. Because if we rely on the world, it will take more than it's supposed to take. 
not just finances, but many other things that can take from us, can take liberty from us, our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion, it'll take from us if it's not a godly nation. And so what does the Lord want us to do about it? In verse 18 of 1 Samuel 8, God sums up something here. He says, when the day comes and you're in trouble and you know you're in trouble, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. Now listen, and the Lord will not answer you in that day. That scares me. Now you say, does that mean there's no hope for my nation? There's no hope for my area? There's no hope for my family because I haven't been doing this? No, listen, the reason why God said he will not answer is because it tells us in 2 Corinthians that there's a repentance that leads to death. It's called the worldly repentance. And you see, that worldly repentance it doesn't say, Lord, I'm sorry we've rejected you, which means you're hurt because rejection hurts. Many people listening to this will say, yes, I know rejection hurts. I've been through it. Well, we are made the same way God is, not physically, but in our souls we're the same. He has feelings, we have feelings. He had emotions, we has emotions. And so he hurts when we don't confide in him. I believe if I hadn't talked it over with my father when I wanted to go to Bible school, if I just went, it would have hurt him. But we talked it through and prayed a bit, and God seemed to open the door for that. So I didn't want to hurt him, you see. Now this worldly sorrow of not being concerned about the fact we've hurt God, the only thing we're concerned about is that we are in trouble. And so that's a worldly sorrow, you see? The guy that robs the bank, he's enjoying the money. And then a few months later, he gets caught. All of a sudden, he's sorry. Well, he wasn't sorry because he was caught. So why is he sorry now? Because of the consequences. And Israel would be sorry only because of the consequences. And God said, because of that, I'm not going to answer you. Now, that's a serious place for us to be. And you see, in, in our nation, if we start and come back to God and start to say, Lord, we have rejected you. We have not put you first. We have not treated others like we should have treated them the way we would like to be treated, which is the second commandment. Lord, forgive us. We've hurt you. We've bruised you. Back at the time of Noah, it says, Lord looked out upon mankind and the sin was so terrible. And it said, it pained the heart of God. Psalm 70, it says, we grieved him with our rebellion and, and ignoring him. Grieving comes out of pain, comes out of a loss. And so we grieved him and pained him. Jesus, he was so full of pain. He looked over Jerusalem and they had rejected him. They liked his miracles, but they rejected him as the Messiah. And he wept over that city. He was so full of pain and woundedness from their rejection. So where are people that need to start saying, Lord, we have hurt you deeply by rejecting you as our king. 
we have rejected you as king in our country, in our province, in our churches, in our businesses, in our homes, in our personal life. We've rejected you, and I'm sorry, Lord. If you never change anything, I want you to know that we're sorry we hurt you. Now he says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, true repentance will bring life. I'm paraphrasing it, but it's in there. It leads to salvation. And so we need to be aware of that. Now the Lord, way over in Jeremiah, he's talking about some of the false prophets. Because there are prophets around. They may not all class themselves as Christians. Many of them do. But in Jeremiah 23, verse 16, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the false prophets are prophesying to you. They will fill you with false hopes. They will speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, he'll say, no harm will come to you. I was at a funeral just recently, and the pastor of this church said, oh, don't worry, everybody's going to go to heaven. Oh, see, that's a false prophet. That's, he may not even see himself as a prophet, but he's prophesying error to the people in that church. And it was a church that sat at least 200, 250, and it was almost totally full. Prophesying lies, you see. But he says in verse 18, now listen, this is important, that we realize we need to listen to the right people when we're expecting a word from the Lord. We need to listen to the right people. He says in verse 18, but which of them, if they had stood in my counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? In other words, people that give us counsel should know what the Lord is saying. We will know, listen, we will know they are disciples. We'll know they are prophets by their love for one another, by their lifestyle. We need to remember that. We so often receive things from people. We don't have any idea what their lifestyle is, what their history is, anything, and yet we receive it. Be careful. Now, the beautiful thing about New Testament we still need the church. We still need people with us. We still need the counsel of elders and pastors or whatever. We still need counsel. But the Lord promises in John chapter 10 that, we, that because of what Jesus did at the cross, we now can hear his voice. He said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say the, the main leaders, the Billy Grahams, the, the Mother Teresas. He didn't say, he said, my sheep hear my voice. And so all of us should have a determination to start hearing the voice of God. So many people say, no, 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 I can't hear God. I just don't. We've heard that hundreds of times. And yet we put people through the seminar that we do where there, that's part of it, starting to listen to God and hear God. So many of them are excited because they heard from, I heard from the Lord last night, he told me. God says in verse 22 again, he repeats, but if they had stood in my counsel, oh, what, it's almost like an agony that God said, if they'd only listened to me, 
Stop with the stuff that's in your brain or wallowing through your heart or in your meal. Start listening to me, God said, if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. And I would have turned them from their evil ways and their evil deeds. So what a promise. God wants to be a people. He wants to have a people that are listening. He wants to have a people that will um, go and be led by him in everything they do and say. Now listen, folks, I want to pray for you that you indeed even though they're rulers over us, and they may not be godly rulers, we can still hear God for ourselves. Churches, you can still hear God for yourselves. Start to hear him because he wants to talk. I don't want to hear the Lord say to me on the judgment day, Howard, if you had only stood in my counsel. I don't want him to say to the leaders of the church where I go, um, church, if you had only stood in my counsel. Because what, what a privilege to have the God of the universe who flung the stars into place, who created everything out of nothing, to be able to go to that God and say, I need some counsel in this. I cleanse myself. I bind up my own thoughts and feelings. I take, tear down every imagination, speculation that would interfere, Lord. I just want to listen to you. Here's my question. Here's my concern. I want to hear from you. And Father, this is not a time for us to rely on man's wisdom. This is not a time for us to be looking at um, what the world is doing or what the world is saying. Lord, it's a time to look to you. Everyone who's heard this, everyone who's listening, I'm asking you, Lord God, turn their hearts towards you that we'll be a listening people. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.